Hi, I'm Keegan. This is GM Talks. I'm joined with Scarlett again. Brennan is a little sleepy, so he won't be joining. We're on our Discord that you can find in the description. It's an open Discord for anyone to join, and, and Scarlett's up at, like, what, 6 a.m.? No, it's actually, it's 2 a.m., so oh, it's, not, <laughs> it's not that late. Okay. Early European summertime, yeah. Is there an <laughs> echo? Because it looks like my mic lights up whenever you speak, but I'm not sure. I don't hear an echo. Uh, I hear static when your mic comes on, though. Not a huge deal. But we're going to just talk about some games, and I have uh, a fun one already. So. Oh, yeah? For work, I got to run uh, the original D&D as a team-building exercise for my team. That's interesting. Uh, it was my idea, and I pitched it to my manager, and they're like, okay, a game is uh, team building. And then they all got super into it, and I was running uh, B1, Into the Unknown. For, uh And there's a lot of 70s in there. So there's a room where there's supposed to be a statue, and it's supposed to be a salacious woman statue. And I'm like, I read that description, I'm like, Nope, not for the work game. Titty statues gotta go. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I've also I've ran um, Pathfinder games for like library events and stuff like that. Because mm -hmm. obviously, also um, kind of cut out some of the stuff. Pathfinder is a bit better than I imagine than what I imagine like old school D and Ds, mm -hmm. but there's still some stuff. I do like how Into the Unknown is formatted overall but yeah that part was just like okay so i changed it to be like a statue of the god of decadence to yeah. basically be watching over them but i do like a lot because um those original creators were big time medieval nerds mm -hmm. so they designed their dungeons to have a lot of function and it really shows nice so it feels like a, an actual place a stronghold could have been. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is uh, they give you a list of monsters. They go, don't use all of them, and uh, place them in a way that makes sense. So you're supposed to come up with, like, the dungeon ecology. Yeah. So that was kind and of... And that's not, like, pre-scripted or anything like that? Nope, it just gives you the monsters and says, put them where you will, and then add their description into the descriptions of the room as you see fit. Oh, that's interesting. They also give you a... They only have a couple um, pieces of treasure that are automatically placed in the game. And mm -hmm. everything else, they give you like a list of... I think it's like 36 treasures or something like that. And they're like, place between 15 and 20 of these treasures. Don't you place nice. all of them. And put them in rooms. If there's no monsters guarding them, then... Have uh, have the treasure hidden based upon the room description, and if there is a monster guarding it, uh, determine why it's guarding it, whether it's witting or unwittingly guarding it. Interesting. So, what are the like? What are the types of monsters you have in that? Uh, in this adventure, they had orcs, goblins, kobolds, a giant black widow, crabs, giant crab spiders, giant rats, troglodytes. Uh, gnomes and uh, skeletons and zombies. And those just all like 
kind of work together in the in that scenario or nope. uh well they can if the dm wants them to what i did is i have the goblins and the kobolds fighting so i put the kobolds on one side of the dungeon and the goblins on the other mm-hmm. with the hobgoblins hanging out in the armory because that's where hobgoblins should be yeah and uh, then I had the goblins in the statue room just playing all the old games that the people uh, used to play. And then I had the kobolds guarding a specific spot for them. I had the orcs living in the deeper area because they take uh, penalties on, uh, from sunlight. So I figured the cave system underneath would be better for them. Same with the troglodytes. So they're in separate yeah. portions. And then there's a room that's just begging for you to put the uh, the giant black widow in because it's a room full of webs. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, simple. First choice to make them. Yeah. First the webs. And then what I did for this game is the first encounter. There's uh there's five bodies the characters will come across, and mm-hmm. I put a carrion crawler there, which is a giant worm that likes to eat on the dead. Yeah. So I added that there at the front, and they caught it eating the bodies of the fallen first party of adventurers who went into this place. Interesting. And I kind of, I kind of like that as a concept. So I went with that. Uh, what else do they have in here? They have giant centipedes, uh, ghouls, um, giant rats, gnomes and orker jelly and yeah so and bandits and so i do have bandits in my dungeon and the bandits are actually hiding in a different room i determined that they were part of the original group of adventurers and they got separated and they ran and hid somewhere and now they're trying to uh get this uh treasure that's actually just an illusion oh that's a that's a whole thing mm-hmm. those poor guys and they're like they're like hostile to the adventurers if they come in. They could be. What they could do though is the the I'm gonna I will have them roll a uh, reaction roll, which is two d six plus uh, plus any charisma of whoever's speaking. Mm-hmm. And if it's yeah. high enough, they might be indifferent, or they might go. They might cut a deal going. If you help us get this treasure, then you know we'll split it with you. That makes sense. And then it turns out it's not real treasure. <laughs> Unfortunate. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I have the gnomes. The gnomes are hiding in the smithy in the first level. They originally lived in the lower levels, but they were driven out by the orcs. And so they will give anyone who helps them a plus one mace. Nice. And they want to go back to where they came from? Yes. And so they want the orcs removed. Uh, okay. Yeah, that all sounds very dynamic and interesting. Yeah, and that was kind of the original goal of, despite all the problems that uh, old D&D had in terms of, like, the sensitivity issues, the one thing they did do that was interesting was they tried very hard to represent dungeons as real places that things lived in. Yeah. And it was up to the, uh, the DM to come up with reasons for why those things were there. So like I have a, these guys have a treasure room or a trophy room 
that uh, has all the trophies of times past. And in that trophy room, I have a magical item as well. And the skeletons will not attack at all unless something from the library, or not the, I'm sorry, not the library, the, uh, the trophy room is removed. And if that happens, oh, okay. they attack. And so they're used up as guards that way. And they were created by the... Because uh, this stronghold were created by a high-level fighter and a high-level wizard. And they created it to be their personal stronghold. And they've uh, since disappeared, like, possibly a decade ago. Interesting. I think, yeah. like, one thing that always um, kind of um, made me wonder about, like, D&D and settings like that is how, like, adventurous... Um, impact the ecology of the entire world because you just like have this like idea that like the common people are like living off like two copper uh, copper coins a day or some shit like that and then you gotta like have adventurers like start out with like 49 gold coins or something like that uh-huh. that always made me wonder how like that works together um how they represented in this uh, game is that supposed to be like a representation of an entire lifetime's worth of uh, of wealth? Yeah. Whether that's inheritance or just lucking out in the right kind of family. Yeah. Which I think works. Uh, with Dungeon Crawl Classics, it doesn't work that way. You roll, I think it's three or four D12s, and that's how many, how many copper pieces you start off with. That's interesting for and, system. And then you start with um, random objects and items and a random weapon. And then that uh, is really interesting. Is the also, item you like you start with depending on your class or something like that? Uh, your weapon is. So you have one item that's random, one item that is dependent upon your occupation. So if you are a farmer, you get a farm animal, and I think a pitchfork which is like a spear in terms of game mechanics. If you're a uh, mercenary, you start off with a little extra gold and you start off with a longsword, which I think is pretty cool. And you yeah. roll up uh, between three and five characters. Ah, uh, okay. I think you've mentioned that. Yeah. Sometime, yeah. Yeah, so that's... it. And... Old school D&D kind of reminds me of that because those characters are fragile. You roll your starting health. You don't uh, You don't get max HP at level one. Yeah. So if you're unfortunate, you could start with one HP and just be really, really unlucky. Yeah. In fact, the, uh, the fighter in today's game, a dwarf fighter, he had a maximum of six hit points and a cobalt stabbed him with a spear and the cobalt rolled a D6 and got a six. So, oh the, wow, the dwarf died. Oh wow, yeah. No death saves, no nothing. Once you reach level uh, zero HP, you are dead. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah, and the whole idea. Uh, I is... think. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say just like if that's the if that's the point of the game, then I suppose that's that's a cool concept. Yeah, the point of it is that you're heroic. And that when you start D&D, especially basic, or both advanced and basic, is, is that you're the bottom of the totem pole. Like, uh, the thief only has a 1 in 10 chance of being able to hide. Yeah. And, like, a 15% chance of being able to pick locks. Yeah. So, you start off 
very weak, but as you advance, you do become very strong. And I was using what's called uh, Old School Essentials, which is a reprinting of the basic game. Mm-hmm. And it's not a 100% map to map. It's map to map to the original basic and expert set, but the rule cyclopedia included two other rule sets. So mm-hmm. there's um, a bit of a discrepancy there, including in saving throws and things like that. But man, is it way easier to learn the rules from this, uh, the old school essentials than it is from the rule cyclopedia in D&D, even though the rule yeah. cyclopedia for old D&D has uh, a more complete set of uh, spells and things like that. But they do... They have the same thing as the V5 book where it's three columns of just sheer information at you and it's it's a lot. Yeah. I think like getting into new games when you've never played a game is much harder than getting into games when you're like at least have played one game because I think there's like there's a there's the term of like video game literacy which is like the fact that people who have never ever played a game will have a much harder time picking it up than people who have played games before. It's just, just universal concepts, and I think that's kind of like a thing with um, tabletop uh, role-playing games, too. Because it's like if you've um, played one game, it's easier to pick up another game than it is if you've never done it, and so I think that's like a big factor in that. I can agree with that. Uh... And basic D&D is interesting. Like, there's a lot of design concepts in here that are interesting, but you can definitely tell they got, like, roots in wargaming because the D20 does not solve for everything, like uh, later editions of D&D. Like, listening to yeah. the door is a roll a D6, and if it's a one, if you're a hu- normal human, it's a, you have to roll a one. If you're an elf, you get to roll a, or a thief, you can roll a one or a two. And That's interesting. Uh, and finding secret doors, uh, you can't. You have to explicitly look for secret doors within a ten-foot range, and you have a one in six chance of finding them. If you fail the roll, you don't get to look there again. Someone else has to try and look if you are confident there's a secret door. Yeah, I think find the um, the basis of a lot of role-playing games and like wargaming is interesting because it like really is something that's visible in some things. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of different dice systems for different things. Like, the rogues or the thief in basic D&D, all of their skills are based on the D100 as a percent die, where it's a roll-low system. If you're doing an ability check, it's a D20 roll-low system. We have to equal your attribute or less. When you're attacking, it's a roll-high system. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Good interesting yeah so it's it's very interesting it's definitely more engaging that way because then it's not just like oh let me roll my d20 and add some dice it's like oh are you doing this you got to do this crazy dice roll now yeah which is kind of interesting so they liked it and i also like um it's something that i think should be implemented in newer editions of D &D is Mm -hmm. uh they have something called exploration turns a round, like a combat round, is 10 seconds in mm-hmm. basic. In all later editions, it's 6 seconds. But what they do now is a exploration turn is 10 minutes. You get to go 3 times your normal speed, and you can make a standard action. And a standard action includes, like, 
uh, checking for traps, disabling traps, uh, investigating items, things like that, and that represents 10 minutes of time. So That sounds like a good way to like have people actually find stuff. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, you can see that um, old school basic D&D really focused on the exploration aspect of the game a lot more than the combat aspect, where uh, the book explicitly tells you that most of your experience should come from finding treasure, not from killing monsters. Yeah. yeah. That's something I didn't know was a thing, because I always thought that, like, um, the old TNT games were, like, super hard on the, like, kill stuff, get get money mm -hmm. uh, aspect. And... There's some stuff on the, the kill stuff, but it's very much uh, you run into something that it's uh, that you can't kill, just run. Just run because the experience isn't worth it. Get around it, find some more treasure, and the non-magical treasure when you leave the dungeon. That was the other thing that was explicitly called out. You don't get your experience until you leave the dungeon. Uh, okay, that's interesting. So you cannot level up in the dungeon. You have to level up by leaving, and if you leave... That means there's a chance for monsters to move back into the rooms you've cleared. Yeah. And so there's always a risk for wanting to level up versus trying to get through more of the dungeon. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. There's also a lot of... Uh, so I'm glad they have a 5e upgrade for the book because the 5e upgrade uh, labeled all the rooms in uh, Arabic numerals. Versus the original adventure, for whatever reason, the rooms are labeled in Roman numerals. Who oh boy. Yeah. I learned those in high school. <laughs> I actually took Latin in school. Oh, did you? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a bad time. Um, was it? <laughs> I, was, I was good at translating because I knew all the like, stories that we were translating, but the grammar is a massive clusterfuck. Like, there's so many cases and different things that are just complicated as, <laughs> as hell. It's not... It, it's, it's interesting, and I, I do appreciate that I learned it because a lot of things from other languages are easier to understand, but it is hard, definitely. <laughs> I get that. No, I just... Holy cow, like, who searches a document for Roman numerals? And who was that intuitive for? Yeah, that really is not intuitive, especially, like, if you could look at, like, like using a program to search for something where it's like, ah, oh, yes, I'm searching for a V. How yeah. many times has that come up, come up in the book? Yeah, oh, it's only exactly. 2,000 times. And... Worse yet, so they did two printings of uh, Into the Unknown. And the first one, all the room descriptions are also keyed to Roman numerals. In the second printing, the room descriptions in the adventure proper use Arabic numerals, but all the numbers on the map are still <laughs> Roman. <laughs> Makes me wonder, like, what they were thinking when they were, like, putting up the second printing. Well, like, okay, we're, we're still gonna do, like, we're not gonna fix it entirely. We're just gonna fix one part of it. I think a genuine part of it was that they didn't have the map drawer, and they didn't have a copy of the map, so they just did a copy-paste job. Okay. That's my guess. But the 5e yeah. version has the one, so I printed out the 5e version of the map to run this with. 
but the 5e version of the map doesn't have the grid well defined, so I had to print out the old version anyway to keep track of their movement through the dungeon. <laughs> but uh, I really like Old School Essentials because it does something... I don't know if every game should do this, but it did a really cool thing where each it came in a box set and each mini book covered a specific topic. So they had yeah. the core rules that covered all the ba very basic rules. Then they had the genre book, which covered the fantasy uh, classes, races, and equipment. Yeah. Then they had a book of magic, which contained all the spells, a book of monsters, and then a book of treasure. And so if you were playing this at the table and someone needed to look up something for their class while the DM was looking through like some of the main rules, they could hand them the class book without having to stop looking at the rules they were looking at. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of, I thought that was a clever uh, design choice. Yeah. I mean, for me, running werewolf, uh, vampire core book is just the book of monsters, so. <laughs> That's fair. How is your werewolf game going, by the way? It's been a while since we talked uh, about it. Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, we're actually playing tomorrow. Um, and there's uh, the Philodox of the pack has a trial upcoming as their ranked challenge. Uh, everyone else is already good in that uh, part because they just uh, uh, beat a pack of like Spiral Dancers and all that. Um, told you about the like, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, discount brand magic the gathering thing yeah that's still mm -hmm. the part where like where we're like on um oh. <laughs> they they got they got the card they traded it to the corex for the information they mm -hmm. went to the warehouse um they fought the black spell dancers there was a whole thing uh with the pack uh patron spirit of the black spell dancers blessing the area with supernatural darkness so no one could see anything um obviously the black spell dancers all have the ears of the bat and it was it was an interesting you had um two black spell dancers with uh guns and silver bullets and then one of them um one of the black spell dancers the packs the rune was just uh glowing dark with uh radioactive uh glyphs on his body and it was actually a pretty funny situation because you had like um the pack went in there they saw their rune glowing in the dark and uh the Scalyard actually was like, This is so stupid. Why does he glow in the dark? That doesn't make any sense. Is it really that dumb? There was the moment that the Pax Arun was hit with a silver bullet and they realized, ah. Okay, maybe they're not that stupid. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this was a distraction. That's but funny. it went pretty well. Um, no one died. Someone almost died. A couple people frenzied. But it was good. Nice. Yeah, we've got our game this week nice. for Sunday and then we're doing a session zero for whatever other game we're going to do uh, Saturdays. Nice. I'm not sure which game I'm going to pick up, but I'm inclined to go with uh, Vampire the Dark Ages. Nice. I've played that. Yeah. Um, I had a Storyteller uh, start the uh, Transylvania Chronicles. That was pretty interesting. Didn't get super far, but it was definitely interesting to try. Okay. 
That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, um, that like those chronicles are pretty good. Uh, they're like pre-written and yeah. Oh, go ahead. They're like pre-written, so there's like some stuff you have to adopt, adapt, obviously. But there, mm -hmm. uh, there's a framework for, like for how to do it, basically. Okay. The uh, the community content one, the Gate of Damas Gates of Damascus, as a community mm -hmm. book or content book for uh, Vampire: The Dark Ages, is really cool. Nice. It's easily one of the highest quality community content books I've ever seen in my life. That's really good. Yeah. And it's uh, all the key locations in, like, Syria, things like that, uh, how Syria looked in the, the Dark Ages. It has a map. And just, nice. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it's over 100, uh, 100 pages. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a lot. I haven't really yeah. looked at any of the community content for anything but Werewolf. I really should at some point. Yeah, I mean, I... And it's only got one writer, which is insane to me, since I'm still working on the... Uh, Sept of the Sacred Stone, because I write Who so slow. Who wrote that? Uh, his name is William, or James uh, Willoughby. Uh, okay, might check that out. That's interesting. Yeah, I like mainly like do werewolf. Like I always check out the new werewolf content on um the Storytellers Vault. But apart from that, I don't really look at the all that stuff. Yeah, I, I liked, uh, from the werewolf side, I really liked the uh, 100 Kinfolk series. Yeah. It's probably my most used community content book. Yeah. Uh, do you have any personal favorites in uh, werewolf community content? Mm, let me think. Um, I do like the Hunter's Armory, which is not werewolf-specific, but it is werewolf-related. Um there is uh let me just open that um riot of the flesh i do have um, that one i like that one a lot too yeah by holden shearer that one's pretty good um it's got like some fomorian stuff like that which is good uh there's the rage across pindorama one which is also really good it's very in-depth um it's a look at the world of darkness uh in brazil and south america in general okay. from a like from the perspective of someone who's just never been there, basically. Okay. And it's, I think it's pretty good. That's um, pretty cool. And there's the random encounters one. Um, by I'm just looking through those. That's the that one's written by Lucas Jaspert. Um, that one's pretty good because it's got like random encounters, basic, which is something that I didn't think I needed for World of Darkness. But it's actually pretty decent because it's basically just like it's got stuff like um, law enforcement, lost people, uh, out of town driver, and it's just random things you can just like spice into your game. Like I've used it, um, for example, um, it was actually really funny because I used this um, where um, my pack was, my player pack was, they were feeling paranoid and they were feeling they were being followed and they were not actually followed um <laughs> but they were feeling they were and i rolled on the random encounter thing and i got like a mom who's like trying to pick up her son and she's just driving around the block a couple times looking for her son and they're like my my players were like oh my god they're following us they're following us and i'm like it's just some <laughs> suburban suburban mom looking for her son but okay i obviously i didn't tell them that so it was it was um pretty interesting that's kind of fun. I uh, 
I you don't think about random encounters, but they do add to a lot of games, like way more games than you'd think. Yeah. Uh, have you looked at uh, Axis Brazilis? I don't think so. What's that? Uh, it is a book from someone in South America who uh, did not like how Rage Across the Brazil uh, Rage Across Brazil uh, basically portrayed them, and so they decided to create the Umbralscape for Brazil. Interesting. And so they have um, spirits and totems. They have the Umbralscape, the the state of the Garu there, things like that. It's really cool. They've got like the maimed uh, maimed wolf capybara, spiritual alliances between things. Uh, oh, that's various... actually that's the that's the book I was talking about, the Rage Across oh. Panorama, I think. Okay, yeah, it's Axis uh, Brazilis for me. So, hmm. uh, who, who they changed the, the name? Uh, no, I think it's a different book. Uh, um. By um, the Mora. Nope, different people. That's interesting. I thought, huh? I'm like, because the main wolf ones are also in this one. I think uh, two different uh, interpretations of it. That's possible. Yeah, they have Brazilian That's totems possible. and they have uh, harpy, capybara, Mother Africa, swallow, nice. dom, uh Man, I can't even pronounce uh, English words, so I'm going to probably butcher this. Uh, Dom Sebastiano, uh, King Thunder, Howler Monkey. Interesting. Yeah, so it it's it 100% focuses on the spiritual side, which is good. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Rage Across uh, Route 1 by Josh Heath, uh, and I'm not plugging that because I wrote for it. Uh, yeah, I saw that one. That one looked really interesting. Yeah. I, I did, um, I think I got one of the books from the Year of year of the Road, is it called? Yeah, it's Year of the Road. I can't find it right now. Yeah, I really like that there's just such an active community of people writing things. Mm-hmm. I was going to say earlier, like, it's it's really interesting to me that there's such a diverse community in, like, South America and Brazil in particular. Because the, the game that I play in as a player also is, I guess, run by a Brazilian a uh, person and uh, her. So it's kind of interesting to me, like, because in Germany we have, we have a community. It definitely exists, but mm-hmm. it's not as online, I guess. Like, I okay. see a lot of things going on, uh, in South America online at least. Yeah, I mean, I wish uh, Rafael was able to jump on because he's a uh, he's in Brazil, and we talked to him in the GM talks, and he was talking about how World of Darkness really kind of kicked off yeah. there so no it's 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 an interesting community now they all seem really passionate and i love talking to all of them when they comment uh brazil i think is the second largest country that follows the facebook page still interesting uh the first being of course america just because i'm american yeah but yeah let me check our analytics real quick i'm kind of curious yeah, so from our likes, uh, currently we have uh, 351 likes in America, and then second mm-hmm. place is Brazil with 144. It's a lot of people. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I thought so. I was really. And if we go how, how many you got from Germany? Uh, let's see. Let's go to Germany. Germany's uh, just below Mexico and Canada with 18. Interesting. 
We've got little spatterings everywhere. We've got nine in Spain, four in Hungary, two in Macedonia, two in the Czech Republic, one in New Zealand, one in Ar- um, Algeria, one in the United Arab Emirates. Interesting. Yeah. And because I, I reached out to the um, the woman who did the art for uh, the page cover to come on GM Talks, but apparently uh, she wasn't uh, comfortable with that, so which is fine. It was kind of neat, though, yeah. hearing about all that stuff. But yeah, I reach out to people all the time. I really liked uh, the one with Dave, the guy who wrote uh, Everlore. He was pretty cool, and he was very uh, passionate about his game. Yeah, that's really good. I love when people are just passionate about what they do and what they write. Mm-hmm. It's always a good time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now I had a lot of... I, I always love hearing from them. It's always real fun. Um, the big one, though, yeah, everyone for my uh, my work group, like most of them are well over 40, and some are pushing 60s, 70s. Yeah. And it was the first time ever playing, and they just got into it. It was kind of endearing, actually. That's really cool. Yeah. Never too late to start. Uh, You catch up on uh, the podcast yet? Still haven't. Like, still haven't fully. (laughs) Um, I have the tab, like, constantly open in my browser. I just, I have this ADHD thing where I've just got, like, 20 tabs open at all times and mm-hmm. I, just, I just have that tab open but I just sometimes <laughs> I, I don't really come to it a lot of the time that's okay think, <laughs> I mean, let me check what um, episode I'm on I think it's like 40 or something okay so you're not too far behind then yeah still got a bit to catch up Yeah, but I'm trying I think like one issue um, is that I heard that YouTube was gonna um uh turn off the function where you can like watch with subtitles that are automatically generated or something oh, like that uh, it really huh yeah that's I... supposedly supposed to happen a lot of people there was a petition going on a lot of people were very unhappy about it um so we'll see how that actually goes yeah i, I heard nothing about that that's interesting yeah we've uh got our whole 92 subscribers on YouTube and our whole, I think, 11? Yeah, 11 followers on uh, Podbean. Nice. As we slowly grow the channel. That's really good. Yeah. The uh, Yeah, if you're on 40, which one is 40 episodes? Episode list. It's Departure. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm, I'm still behind my own uh, GM talk. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, uh, Departure's a pretty fun one, uh, the .5 right after it is one I really had fun with, uh, recording with, uh, with Jade and, uh, her character Morgan, because that's her one-on-one game. Nice. Yeah, I've also, um, been, uh, doing some one-on-one session for my game. It's interesting. Yeah? How's it going? Um, so, I've got... I'm thinking, okay. So, I don't think this player is going to watch this, but um, one of the player uh, one of the player characters in my game is a Fianna, and mm-hmm. uh, her backstory 
is that um, she has spirit heritage and is related to the Lady of the Lake, but she also has somewhere in her um, ancestry a Gural, um, and that Gural is still kind of alive and sleeping, um, except that the small island um, that they're under um, is what is nowadays known as Anthrax Island, which is a island off the coast of um, somewhere off the coast of Britain uh, that the British government used to uh, test bioweapons on, um, and that's gonna be a whole whole plot line. Um, I think it's it's gonna it's it's gonna be pretty pretty bad, but but in a good way. Um, yeah. And for another player. Um, Another player, their um, mentor is a Silent Strider, their Bonor, but the mentor is a Silent Strider. And um, their deep name until now was um, Layla Leechfo. Um, but they never actually fought a vampire before. That's just the deep name because they like their their mentor is like telling them that like vampires are uh, the devil and all that. And then like I sort of had a whole th- like a tiny subplot. Um, and the end result is that Layla is now kind of dating a vampire. Um, it's it's gonna be interesting. The vampire is morally not repugnant. Uh, the vampire is a um, um, caitiff. Um, a fairly um, uh, high generation caitiff that's pretty chill. Uh, she's basically just trying to get by. Uh trying to, like, drink as little blood as possible without frenzying and trying to not, like, kill people or, like, abuse people, basically. So she's morally speaking not, like, a terrible vampire, but she's still a vampire, and, like, obviously it's debatable whether or not vampires can live without being um, abusive parasites, but basically, um, she's now dating, uh, kind of dating that, um, uh, Bonor, and uh, the thing is that the timeline for this game kind of diverged at that point because um, the story with the vampire girlfriend is a bit farther into the future than the main plot is right now uh, mm-hmm. for subplot reasons, and so after we wrap up with this plot that we're having right now, with uh, the trial and everything and the rank challenges, um, then we're gonna like just jump a bit into the future to the point uh, where uh, Layla has to tell her pack that she uh, kind of uh, saved the vampire and almost killed another Bonor who was trying to kill her vampire friend. Um, oh. So that's going to be interesting. Um, the this Bonor um, was a foster in, uh, I think, Galliard, and he was basically. Um, trying to save face by saying he was ambushed by a pack of black spell dancers and a whole pack of vampires when he was actually just fighting a Clioth werewolf and a single caitiff vampire that was already bleeding out on the floor. Um, so, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I'll go. I'm uh. kind of trying to like get a moral, moral side to it, uh, where it's like, cultural bias is a thing, and that like, morally right or wrong isn't necessarily a black and white thing so that's gonna be interesting yeah that sounds like it'll be interesting i've i got a couple plans gotta reshuffle some others but 
yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting for our our game as well. And they're almost done in Denver, I think. Yeah, the player pack in my game just came from they came from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and went to some small village in Russia to fight a thunderworm. Um, then went back home to Moscow, and now they're in Moscow doing stuff there. And there's like a big plot coming up in South America. There's another big plot in Siberia, and they also got to go back to Germany at some point. Which is going to be interesting because they kind of wanted for uh, aggravated assault on a police officer, but that's uh. Uh, I think I think they kind of forgot that, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Okay. At the 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 I think I told you that like the pack um, follows the Patriot Spirit Mother Anarchy, so everyone in the pack is a um, anarchist, and everyone kind of does not like police. Um, <laughs> it sort of um, is a thing where like whenever they get like in contact with police. There'll be one person who was like, okay, we should we should try to be polite. And everyone else was kind of like, no. But it's it's interesting, so we'll see how that goes in Germany. Yeah. I, um, I'm playing with the idea. I don't know how I'll implement it in the story, but playing with an idea um, about how the system of policing hurts police officers at the same time, especially in America. And showing that kind of double-edged sword because uh, in America you don't necessarily need a a degree to be a police officer so it's one of the few very high-paying professions without the need of debt yeah and so I'm playing with the idea of the worm festering in police departments and then the few people who want to get out can't because if they do they lose their home basically yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty real thing in real life, as far as yeah. I know. Like exactly. I know that says police officers are not obligated to know the laws they're enforcing, which mm-hmm. is one thing. Supreme Court decided that, so I think that'd be interesting to like in the world of darkness, in the in that um, perspective. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that. Uh... You know, you play with the idea of uh, Herculean firearms lobbying to continue militarizing the police and there being a push for it, right? And that uh, you get into this thing where you see the worm festering because someone's trying to juggle so many balls in the air. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered something that um, you and me both had a similar idea um, and I... I think we we had it independently from each other because I um, had the idea and then I listened to the podcast and you had a similar idea because in my game there's um, Siren and Swan Cosmetics who are producing deodorants and perfumes that make people temporarily smell of the worm. And you had the thing with the, medic- with the medicine and the pills and all that. Similar. I, interesting. I, I can't uh, claim that idea. That idea actually is in the subsidiary's uh, guide to Pentex. Under Magadon. Oh, interesting. It's also in the I Book have of the Worm. I think it's in the Book of the Worm briefly as a Worm Fox or Fox yeah. Worm. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, same with the uh, combining chemicals. That's uh, from the uh, subsidiaries guide. If, um, if you are to get um, 
the two books I recommend anyone who wants to play yeah. werewolf get besides the core book, obviously from the older editions is the revised storytellers guide or storytellers yeah. handbook. Sorry, not the guide. They're, they're two separate books, the handbook and the, uh, and the subsidiary is a guide to Pentex because it gives a breakdown of every subsidiary, gives you plot ideas, uh, does a great job blending real world lobbying with supernatural cabal stuff. Yeah. It is just simply one of the most well-constructed books for the series. Yeah, there's a lot of really good books um, that are like kind of overlooked. I think my favorite werewolf book of all is the book the city which is just i cannot recommend this enough it's so good um i think i might have talked about that when talking about personal stuff yeah um so one thing that happens um when you go and estrogen hormone therapy is that you like start getting more emotional about certain things not in the way that like misogynists will tell you but just in the way that you like sometimes have an easier access to emotions and i there's a part of that um book of the city where there's a um like a fluff story and that story has locations um it's it's about um a pack um of garu who are in the city and they're kind of lost there um by drones by weaver drones and um the pax alpha um dies and he tells lupus to run and tell the karen what's happening and there's just this like vivid description of the alpha dying and telling the other one to run and you just like have this language that's incredibly emotional and it's so well written and the book is just like a lot of good, very, very good fluff, a lot of very good plot hooks. Okay, that's it's pretty cool. My favorite book in general, like okay. of all werewolf books. Nice. And like oh, the yeah. drones and the men in black are in general one of my favorite things in in werewolf because mm-hmm. I, I do like the, I like the weaver more as an antagonist than the worm. Mm-hmm. I like to I like to blend and play with. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Josh Heath, actually, he runs uh, Werewolf the Podcast, and yeah. I was talking to him, and I was asking him what uh, things he found uh, surprising in all mm-hmm. of his uh, Werewolf uh, books that, book reviews, and he had mentioned the biggest one is how many bad books there were in first edition and early, re- uh, early second. Oh, Yeah. Because uh, he, he said that he grew up with it. He remembers being super hyped into Werewolf and just being like, this is the greatest setting ever. ever. It's all interconnected, all this. And then he went, and that's because I kept revisiting the good books. Yeah, I suppose that's a, that's a big thing. That's how like nostalgia and everything works. Because you just like built this reputation where you think about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sorry, I inter- interrupted. What was your question? I was gonna ask, what do you think are the worst books? Um, from my experience, I think the first edition Utena book is awful. Um, Why is it awful? Like, it's just it's poorly thought out. They do a lot of noble savage stuff oh, that yeah. isn't great. Um, the in character dialogue's not the worst there's it, it, it's very clearly written by a bunch of uh white guys trying to play up minorities like there's a whole moot at one point 
And, uh, you know, they're talking about their lost past. And this one guy stands and is like, we got to stop complaining. I'm a black man in America. And we've also suffered. But now is our time to move on and join with the others. Da, da, da. You think the natives suffered? We had the lash of slavery. And I'm like, whoa, dude. Okay. You're, getting into the, yeah, you're, getting into, you're getting into oppression Olympics. Uh, and then, two, yeah. there's a there's a gift in there that, like, even if it was a five-star, you know, book... That would have dropped it down to a three, just for the three or a two out of five, just for the inclusion of this one gift. What does it do? It allows Inutena to go on a forced march. I was okay. That's that's enough. Culturally, (laughs) extremely (laughs) insensitive. Like holy fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's bad. Like you get to that gift and you're just like holy. Fuck, what the fuck were they thinking? Yeah. Um Yeah, that's that's a that's a thing where you like think what why who wrote this and who thought this was okay. Yeah, uh obviously Gypsy's a terrible book. I like it's got a bad concept and it's poorly written. Like it's disjointed, yeah. it's not a it's not an engaging read, it doesn't even have good story hook ideas that you can yeah. divorce that you can't divorce from the concept, nor would you want to use them anyway. The Ways of the Wolf is a really bad book. Uh, it's a lot of uh, old, bad um, pseudoscience on wolves to help people understand how lupus think, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It's not a great book. It's not It's not fun. It's not entertaining. It's... It, it doesn't add anything, and later books did a much better job of it, so it's not worth reading. Yeah. I think, uh, let me see. Uh, Josh did his uh, review, and he said, um, what was it? Uh, Ghost Towns was terrible. I haven't read Ghost Towns, but I, I believe him. I actually own that. I, I've oh, never really? read it, I think. It's apparently supposed to be a Wraith werewolf the wild west crossover book and it's terrible it's super whitewashed it's culture like really culturally insensitive and that makes it worse in this case simply because this was when white wolf was starting to figure its uh its shit out basically yeah oh that's the one i was thinking of the storyteller's companion is okay it's for revised edition werewolf uh, mm-hmm. And it's important only because th- this has information on how to play the Stargazers because it was uh, in revised after they had left the Garu Nation. They have the uh, the tribal to- tribal weaknesses, which I've tried to implement, and they're just not fun. So nor worth it. So I don't recommend them. They have uh, examples of changing breeds as antagonists with stats. Random animals, yeah. just just weird things, and then they give you Karens, like the size of Karens, how big Karens are, but all this stuff's already recovered in better books, and so it's a short book. It's just not, just not well form formatted. It's just okay. Yeah, yeah. So, with Ghost Towns, I, I I own that. I don't know why I own that. I don't know why I thought I should buy it, um, but I have it. <laughs> As, okay. a, as a PDF, that is. I don't have it physically. Okay. That's fair. I mean, the concept sounds cool, right? Like, werewolves dealing with ghosts in the Wild West or dealing with the ghosts of, like, 
possibly like Native Americans or something like that. That's yeah, that's a cool concept, but man, does it drop like a whole lot of ball <laughs> balls, and it's yeah. just not good. Um, let me yeah, see. there are some books that are just not great. Yeah, um, let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. Just looking books. over my, just looking over my books, I'm thinking about like all the comics in the books because there are some that are great. Have mm. you read the Nazi book and the 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 intro? Comic. I've read the intro comic. I have not read the full uh, book, though. The intro comic is just so iconic. Mm-hmm. Like mutant spider woman in a in a prom dress eating her mom. Okay. Yes, I mean that's, that's a concept we needed. All right. Yep. Very cool. And it, and it sets the tone of the whole uh, like spider changers, from my understanding. Yeah. And they're just, like, they're very alien, and I think that makes a lot of sense, like, for them to be like that. Real yeah, like that. No, I totally agree. Um, oh, the other book that I do not recommend, Children of Gaia are one of the few, very few tribe books, where the first edition book is better than the revised Oh, edition. yeah. I've heard about the, the second edition one, where it's, like, the weird rights and everything, yeah. I remember weird, that. Weird rights. Once again, it's it's obviously like a bunch of uh, straight dudes trying to write gay characters. Yeah. Like, there's a line that sticks with me because it was such an odd and like almost creepy line where oh. there are two Garu in love. They're both uh, male, and one is a lupus born, one is Hamid born, and the lupus born. Uh, goes off and tries to pretend basically to be the guy's dog on occasion when needed, especially if they're in a super crowded car. And that is he's... such an awful concept. Mm -hmm. I, I, oh, I know that's a fetish, and I, I hate that. But that's not even the that's not even the worst part because that it, that it wasn't fetishizing the dog thing. What the uh, part was fetishizing was like they were in the park just lying down and the lupus born goes over and rests his head in his Hamid born lover's lap and the Hamid born and it's written from the perspective of the Hamid born and the Hamid born's thought process was if we were both uh, human people would be giving us funny looks now it's like we can be ourselves in public and it's just like woof Bruh. Bruh. I, yeah I hate that <laughs> It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. There, there's some really bad things in the books, really. Like, I will give them them credit for trying when no one else did. But yeah, man, is it a hard read going back to 20 years after the fact. Also, just conceptually, the idea that like. You know, I'm 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 a dog right now, and that's more acceptable than me if I was a if I was a human man. And it's just like uh, I I don't I don't like the implications of that. Like I, I don't, really don't like the implications. Yeah, neither do I. It's just it's such a rough listen or such a rough read. I'm sorry, and it's just like good lord. Yeah, uh, I just I don't know. I I had issues with it. I think, like, another book that's, like, not entirely terrible, but also not, like, super good, um, is Rage Across Russia, which I've used a lot, 
or actually I was intending to use it a lot for my Wolf game, and then I just kind of went, okay, I'm just gonna make everything myself, um, because it's just not that good. Like it's, it's very obvious that it was written by Americans, mm-hmm. with the fact that some of the names don't even make sense in Russian. Well, yeah. like um, in in Russian traditionally, uh, you have your father's name in your name. Um, and they just don't do that for some characters. And for some they do, and for some they make it in a way that doesn't make sense. Um, hmm. It's 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 Some things in it are good, and some are just terrible. And I think one of the things that bothered me the most, uh, the Shadow Curtain in uh, World of Darkness Russia, mm-hmm. um, the basic idea is that when the Soviet Union uh, was started and Baba Yaga took over, um she basically built a supernatural wall uh, that basically made it that no one could get in or out. Um, So basically all the supernaturals are trapped in there. This includes werewolves. uh, This includes mages. This includes, I think, includes mages. This includes vampires. They're all in there and what's inside can't go out and what's outside can't come in. And uh, it's also really difficult to communicate through it and everything. And why why she did that was to like contain it and be able to, um, and that's kind of like the thing that basically uh, made World of Darkness Russia super isolated supernaturally, um, even more so than it would have been if just there was like, you know, Soviet Union closed borders whatever, and that just is a really weird concept to me because I don't understand it from a um, world building perspective because Mm -hmm. it makes it um impossible for you to use the things in this book unless you have your entire game set in this area and nowhere else because it also can't go out and then obviously like the thing that like baba yaga was killed killed maybe she's still around who knows but the shadow curtain fell and everything um and that just seems like a thing that should be something the player characters are involved in it seems weird to have this huge plot thing and you just like say okay you're starting your game yeah this just happened the huge thing um uh, the this mai was slain and the shadow curtain fell and the also like a bunch of cans were just destroyed and it's just like why are you doing this as a prologue and as a way to set up a game why are you not doing this in your game that would make so much more sense mm-hmm I was I wasn't sure if the uh, the shadow curtain thing was an adventure in a later books just because I know um, Rage Across the Heavens it was all about the perfect medis and things like that and then when you get to the revised book it's like a pack of Garu found this baby. Oh, I don't know about that actually, but I didn't think so because Rage Across Russia is one of the only books that is about this, so I'm not sure if it's not somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because there's, there's a couple crossover books. Like, there's a whole book about... Uh, it's a vampire were- and werewolf adventure book, and you get to run the adventure from the vampire perspective, and you get to run the adventure from the werewolf perspective, where the vampires are doing, like, their meetings and things like that. And then something basically triggers all the werewolves, and they bust into the succubus club, and they fuck everything up. And it is the prelude to Chicago, um, Chicago by Night 2nd Edition because the werewolves go in and they destroy everything. Interesting. 
Yeah, I looked it up. I looked up the Shadow Curtain on the White Wolf Wiki, and it is apparently mentioned in Knights of Prophecy for Vampire and World of Darkness, the World of Darkness Second Edition. So maybe there is explained more. Probably that's what that's what my guess is. Yeah, because Second Another Edition. Book that I... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. Oh, uh, second edition got starts. It was the edition when they started to get really uh, crossover happy, and then revised edition is when they put the brakes on it a little bit. Going, oh wow, getting these things to cross over is actually kind of hard. Yeah, I think like there's a lot of perspective and good ways to do crossover, but a forced crossover can sometimes be harmful. Yeah, that's like Samuel hate. <laughs> yeah, I really like though that like. You just every supernatural has this like completely false and fake idea of what the other supernaturals are. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the changelings, the changelings say that the Garu are actually changelings who forgot the dreaming, and uh, it's like, okay. And then like the vampires are like, actually, uh, Garu uh, stem from uh, the Gangrel tribe. When you have the werewolves, so, like, actually, vampires are just uh, blood, uh, blood for Mori, and it's like, okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. They're creatures of the weaver that got corrupted by the worm. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it is interesting. I um, I do like some crossover stuff. I like bringing stuff over. Uh, I think I will I will implement some more technocracy stuff. I know I don't listen to this, so it's okay. I can say as much as I want. <laughs> I love the technocracy, and I've actually made. So what I did for the crossover is that I said the technocracy works for the Weaver because it just makes sense for me. I don't like them being separate, but mm-hmm. I just like use stuff from the technocracy and like technocratic mages as Weaver spawn as followers and servants of the Weaver, and I really like that conceptually. Yeah, I I like them being separate. I like the idea of the Weaver not being uh, directly involved. That the technocracy's uh, goals are explicitly for the weaver but not out of any conscious desire the the very concept of progress no matter what and no matter who you tread upon just sounds uh like a really really cool concept and i think it adds more yeah. to the uh the settings only because it creates a uh, a dynamic where the technocracy um are unknowing so what do you do to try and correct for correct that how do you change minds right the question for me would be how are they still unknowing because they're doing a lot of research you know Mm -hmm. they do a lot of research but they don't believe in anything supernatural so they could believe that there is a great spider in another dimension that's all about stasis but that's another dimension that's not here and though things correlate, what it could be is that they think that they're making the Weaver stronger simply because of their actions here, and they're shaping another dimension, not that the Weaver is shaping this dimension. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like DNA, right? Like, DNA does tons of research on werewolves, but they don't believe in any of the uh, the spiritual side of it. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of my take for for that anyway. Yeah, I think it's just a thing that like you can do the way you want to, and it works. Like I can, I can see you working the way you're doing, and um, 
I can see working in other ways. I can see working in the way that I'm doing. I can see mm-hmm. working in different ways. It's interesting. Yeah, I, that's why I like sharing ideas, and that's why I wanted to set up GM Talks uh, to begin with. Yeah. Because I do like sharing those kinds of ideas. The uh, the other one I started rereading is the, uh, the Red Talon Revised Tribe book. I haven't read the first edition one yet, but... I do remember really liking the revised uh, tribe book. What is it like? Like, what's what's it's, what's good about it? The first book or the first chapter is from the from the perspective of a red talent. It's all in red talent perspective character where they talk about how the concept of linear time or the measurement of linear time is part of the human brain. The wolf heart doesn't need that, and so they believe in talking about the time before. The time before today. And if they need to be more specific, they'll say like the time before today and after and then they'll use an event. So all of their chronology is based on events. Interesting. And it's uh, written to talk. And then they have this sidebar by this uh, red talon who lost their ability to howl even though they're a galliard. And so they sing and they tell their stories through body language. I like that concept a lot. Yeah, and so they'll like they'll do the stares to the other galliards. It'll listen to their howls and then it'll make a move to evoke sort of additional reactions. Yeah. And so it goes through their hist- uh, parts of their history and things like that. And then the second chapter that's all lore-based, is actually written from the perspective of a Hamid Shadow Lord who lied about his uh, breed, and because Red Talons don't really get lying, they're just like, okay, you're a weird lupus, but whatever. And so he goes into their, their Karen to study them for the Margrave. Yeah. And so he talks about how they view other tribes. And my favorite one is their view of the child of Gaia or the children of Gaia. Because the Red Talons are very much based on first impressions. Yeah. And so he says the Red Talons are split pretty 50-50 on children of Gaia. Half view them as human-loving whelps and the other half view them as noble and powerful warriors of Gaia. Yeah. With no in-between. I can see that. I also like the, uh, the, the Shadow Lord one. Just because it's one of the funniest, like, unironically funniest lines in the whole book. Which is... Oh, yeah? Uh, he talks about his own experience going into the Karen. And essentially he shows up in a red town and is like, Elder, a Shadow Lord is here. And the Elder turns and goes, what does it want? And I just found that very funny. Yeah, I like that Like some of the books just have those unexpected funny moments. Mm-hmm. I think, it, I, I think it's a great uh, little bit. Because you need, you need to break it up every now and then. Yeah. The... Um... I, I remember going through all the revised. The, the Get uh, revised book is pretty good. Uh, I do like some of the changes a lot. I like all of the changes, like where they slaughter the swords of Heimdall. Yeah. The Fianna one's better for revised, too, because they, uh, they acknowledge Celtic traditions 
other than the Irish, the Welsh, etc. As well as claiming that their tribe had many names and Fianna only stuck solely because of the the Irish ones. And that's why the tribe is so painted by Irish color or the Irish kind yeah. of like swath. I thought it was yeah. kind of a cool, cool concept. They also removed the whole IRA angle. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think that was a good call. Uh, that was especially because that book was coming out uh, post 9-11. Yeah, I read the I read the sidebar. I remember reading that where they were like, "We're actually not gonna do that anymore." Yeah. And I think I, I do think I do think it's uh, a bit comical that they only do that when something may have happened in America. But I mean, fair enough. Yeah, I. Yeah, I wish, like, and, and the thing is, is though, they, they did it well in other places. Like, they did the whole, um, Hitler wasn't a vampire, Hitler wasn't a ghoul, Hitler wasn't supernatural in uh, Berlin by Night. They're like, Hitler was just a monstrous man. You do not have to be supernatural to do these monstrous things and to do associate every horrible thing in history to the supernatural lessens those real-world horrors. And I'm like, finally, they get it. Yeah. And then V5 uh, had to do the uh, the Georgia thing. No, not Georgia. Um, can't remember the the country now. Uh, Chechnya. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Though the the Berlin by Night also has like vampire um Himmler, I think. Oh, I remember really? that right. Okay. Yeah, he he was he was embraced after the fact though. Okay. So. It's kind of like, yeah, Hitler wasn't a vampire, but actually the dude who made all the Nazi propaganda, he was. Oh, did they do Goebbels? Okay. Okay. Oh, Lord. Well, you know, baby steps, I guess. Um, actually, with that uh, Gen Con thing I went to with the researching history for your own games, mm -hmm. uh, Eddie Webb, who did write for uh, Vampire, Werewolf, etc., uh, said, yeah, you know, uh, for for writing these sort of history things, uh, basically just look at how World of Darkness did did it, and then just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, which is fair. Oh goodness. Can I say a final concept? Sure. That I've that I thought of earlier. Um Glasswalker Ragabash, who's an e-girl Twitch streamer. That's all. Oh Jesus, okay. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Thank you, uh thank you for joining me. It's always good to talk. I yeah. always enjoy enjoy our conversations and I enjoy your passion for the hobby. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, this is uh Keegan for GM Talks and we will catch you next time. Bye.